Thanks, Rodel. And one more thing before I forget, next week uh, you'll want to be here because we have uh, Thomas and Joe uh, via Zoom attending, so uh, that'd be nice for an interview there and uh, have a chat with them so we can hear how they're going. I think the last time we tried that, uh, we had no picture whatsoever, which is really sad. But uh, hopefully next week all will be sweet and uh, get to actually see them, see how they're going. So next Sunday, let's pray and ask for God's grace on this text. Father, thank you for today. Thank you again that we can come here. This is your word. And um, it's also originally the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And uh, in fact, they were your words, Lord. And it's a good reminder of that. And uh, I pray, Father, that uh, we remember that, that this is the eternal word of God, and we're going to change by it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, we're back into our series from Hebrews 11, which uh, has been a long time between drinks, I must say, and uh, it's a long time since I've preached, uh, I must say, as well, so see how it goes today. But um, uh, Hebrews 11 is one of those passages that uh, is, uh, I suppose it just commands your attention in some ways. It's, you know, it's filled with some of the, the greats of the Old Testament, uh, people like Noah and Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, Moses, and then there's a, a list of others that are found in Hebrews 11 as well. And as you look at their lives, you see that they are ordinary people, uh, you know, very flawed. You read through their accounts in the Old Testament, very flawed, but they live significantly by faith, and we still remember them today. We're still talking about them. Uh, they have been people that God used deeply. And so it's a great passage, it's sort of captivating, but you've got to remember why it's there, this passage in Hebrews 11. It's there because uh, the people that were the recipients of the book of Hebrews were genuinely struggling with their faith. We actually don't know a whole lot about what's going on, but what we do know is this. Uh, the book of Hebrews is written to, most likely, um, Jewish Christians, hence the name, the Hebrews, Jewish Christians. All the content is directed toward these Jewish Christians. And uh, they're probably living somewhere around mid to late first century, and the tide of, of approval has certainly turned against them. And having a really difficult time. What we know for sure from the book of Hebrews is that some of them have been thrown in jail for their faith. Others have had their houses plundered. Oh, that would be terrible. People just came into their houses and took all their possessions and walked away, and nobody in the government, apparently, did anything about it. Just didn't do their job, just let it happen. So these people are going really tough. They're being treated poorly, doing life really tough. To this point in time, it doesn't seem like anybody's actually been martyred for their faith, but the writing's on the wall. And so because of that, these people, some of these people, are thinking about walking away from Jesus. That's because it's easier to be a Jew, you're protected to some degree under the law. If you're following Judaism, you're following Jesus, it's not too good. So that's what's going on, and I think oh, this is a really good text for us, really. It's true that probably most of us aren't thinking about walking away from our faith, but it could be true for some people that some people are, because that does happen. But I don't know, why am I following Jesus after all? It could be the case, and so it's worth listening to this book and what it's got to say because of that. But probably for most of us, as I said, we're probably not there. But nonetheless, there is this very real sense where it's very easy to go soft on what we believe when it comes to following Jesus. 
I think that is the uh, ubiquitous issue, isn't it? You know, just uh, I'll follow Jesus, I'll let him, you know, I'll, you know, I'll call myself a Christian. But when it comes to really impacting my life, when it comes to sacrificing and living for him, you know, so often my life can look just like everybody else's in this world. You know, it's not really that different, the things I go after and the things I do. But this is the challenge that I have myself all the time. The thing that I reckon this is the number one thing. Am I really following Jesus or am I just, you know, writing on a piece of paper on a Christian, you know, you know, identifying as a Christian, ticking the census form? You know, or is it really changing my life? So I think this is a question that, that comes out. Um, and that is, why is Jesus better than the world? Uh, why is why do it? I mean, why is Jesus better than the world? That's probably the great question that it's good for us to wrestle with and think through. And there's a lot of answers to that question, and we're not going to go through that today entirely, but I just want to look at the faith of Rahab. Not someone we've spent a lot of time looking at, uh, but worth looking at, the faith of Rahab. And uh, two thoughts this morning. One thought is uh, Rahab and her fear of God. Okay, that's one of the things. And then secondly, God and his kindness to Rahab. Okay. So Rahab in the fear of God, and then God in his kindness to Rahab. We'll go way through that and see what we can learn. Let me just read a couple of verses back from Hebrews 11 that, that Renel has read for us already, but just to set the scene. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab and the fear of God. This is how it goes. Story of Rahab uh, really goes back to the book of Joshua. As many Sunday school teachers would be able to tell me, you know that the story of Rahab goes back to the story of Joshua. And the setting for that is, is just like this. Um, the setting is that, that uh, the people of Israel, along with Joshua, have just crossed the Jordan River and they are now standing on the soil of Canaan. It's been an awfully long time since God's people, Israelites, have done that. They've, had, they've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, but gone are those days. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, but gone are those days. This is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham hundreds of years before. And that promise, to put it you know, this way, is you are going to leave this land, your family. They're going to be slaves for 400 years. But when the sin of the Canaanites is complete, you will come back into this land and you will take it. And so for Joshua and the Israeli people, this is a good day. They're about to conquer the land of Canaan. Now, I think when I say that in today's society, we're pretty sensitive around that idea of people coming and conquering lands. And indeed, we probably should be sensitive about those things. We need to understand the story properly. If you want to talk to me about that, because I'm not going to unpack you know, why it's a good thing, this holy war today. But if you want to talk to me about that, I'd be really happy to talk to people about it afterwards. But nonetheless, according to the Bible, this is a necessary thing. And for Joshua and the people, this is a good day. And the first city that's about to fall is the city of Jericho. And Rahab just happens to be a citizen of Jericho. She's an Amorite, part of the Canaanite people, part of the people that the Israelites have come to conquer. And on top of that, 
Rahab is a prostitute. Now, probably in our day and age, you know, people sort of don't think too much about that. You know, it's pretty much most things are acceptable these days. If you're going to be a prostitute, that's okay. But don't let it be lost on you because uh, it's interesting. We're supposed to make note of the fact that Rahab is a prostitute. You know, and in fact, the reason why we're supposed to make note of that is because Rahab's actually mentioned several times in the Bible, mentioned three times in the New Testament, and then several times in the chapters of Joshua. And almost every time she's introduced to us as Rahab the prostitute. And so it's interesting. Because, ah, so we're supposed to remember that's what she did, that's who she was. And I think the reason we're supposed to mention that, or remember that, is because Rahab is an outsider. She is a sinful woman. She's a woman who, like the people of Jericho, should have been under the judgment of God. But in this case, Rahab isn't under the judgment of God. This is a story about her deliverance. In many ways, the story of Rahab is a little bit like the story of, of um, many of the other women that you, you read about in the New Testament in the Gospels. You know, it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's about, about the Samaritan woman of the world. And Jesus comes and speaks to her. Or the woman of the night, if you like, that came to some of the Pharisees' house and anoints Jesus with oil. And some of the Pharisees and the disciples in relation to those two women are like, what is Jesus doing talking to them? You know, but it's a story about deliverance. It's a story about, you know, of love and, and being brought into God's family. And this is a story like that. A story of Rahab. And basically, her story comes to us in Joshua chapter 2. We read it through there, you can read it through later, but let me just paraphrase what's going on in the story right here. Basically, Joshua is, as we said, you know, in the land of Canaan, they're about to come to Jericho. And Joshua sends out two spies into Jericho to scope out the land and, and just to see what Jericho is like. Yeah. It's a big, you know, big issue going in there. Just picture that. Scope out the land. And when they do, they go there, and they go to Rahab's house. Now, probably it's a stroke of genius that they go to Rahab's house, because she's a prostitute. And so it's pretty common that, that people that were travelling through would go, men that are travelling through, would just go to a prostitute's house. So going to Rahab's house would probably be incognito. Nobody had really noticed that you were there. And that's what they're hoping for. They just want to be, you know, under the radar. But it doesn't actually go that way as you read through Joshua chapter 2. They're not under the radar. But actually, people recognise that there's a couple of Israelites there. Now, obviously, they're really concerned about the nation of Israel. You know, they're there and they're concerned about what's going to happen. And so when they recognise there's two Israelites in town, news gets back to the king. And the king says, we well, sends out a delegation of troops, they should, to go to Rahab's house and to capture these, these blokes at the break of that. There's a fair bit of detail in Joshua chapter 2, but the story basically goes like this. Rahab hides the spies, and the people come to the door. She lies to the king and says, oh, they've escaped. They've already left. They've gone to the countryside. And so they believe her, and they go out searching in the countryside for the two spies to try and get them and no doubt kill them. But then she goes back and she says to the spies, she gives them some extra information. She says, I tell you how you can escape. What you need to do is this, and she tells them all that they need to do. And I assume that she probably, you know, knows these things. But how does she know these things and this extra information? Well, you know, I guess we don't really know. She's just a smart lady. But it's possible that maybe there's a bit more to it. 
Uh, it's interesting doing some reading on, on Rahab during the week. Uh, apparently, according to Jewish legend, and again, it's just legend, there's lots of things that are said in legend, but according to Jewish legend, Rahab was one of the most, four most beautiful women in the world at the time. And so she had a lot of uh, men of, of note, if you like, that would come to her house and visit there, so she would have got lots of privileged information. So maybe that's what happened, maybe not, but it fits with the story, so perhaps we'll go with that today. But uh, Rahab is, is this woman who who uh, probably gets in on a lot of different details on things. And she gives these spies information of how to hide, where to go, and how they should escape, which they take on board, and indeed they do. They get back to safety. But the question that I want to think about this morning, this is a story of Rahab, it's sort of an interbridged version, uh, but the thing I want to think about this morning is, why is it that Rahab does this? What do you reckon? Why does she... Why does she lie to her own people and turn tail on them? Why does you know, she look after the people of Israel? Well, really, in the story, there's two reasons for it, if you like. And one of the reasons, very practical, very pragmatic, and it's this. Rahab is looking to save the passage out of Jericho, for not only for herself, but also for her family. So she says, please, if I look after you, will you, will you spare my life? Will you spare the life of of my father and my mother, of my sister and my brother, and of their families. And it's agreed to, yes, bring them into your room, and when we invade, we'll make sure that, you know, on, on pain of death, we make sure, we'll make sure that uh, you're well taken care of and looked after. So that's one of the reasons. But the second reason is really the main reason. The second reason why Rahab does this, which is central to the whole story, central to everything, is because she has heard about who God is. And on that basis, she wants to make sure that she is on his side and not on the other side. And that's how it goes in Joshua chapter 2. Let me just read a little bit of that for you. Verse 8, Before the men lay down, she came up to them onto the roof where they were hiding. And she said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Listen to her words. See, I know that the Lord has given you this land, the land of Jericho, and that the fear of you has fallen on all the inhabitants of the land, and they melt away before you. For you have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, the story of the Exodus, when you came out of Egypt. And we've also heard of the kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan, you know, Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard of those things, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Why? This is, the, this is the kicker right here. For the Lord your God, he is the God of the heavens above and of the earth beneath. Oh, that's it. The Lord your God? I've come to realize, she says, that he is, he is the God of heaven. He is the Lord of all things. And I think it was supposed to, I take it was supposed to understand that statement as a conversion statement when it comes to Rahab. And the reason for that is because of what it says here, well, a couple of places in the New Testament, one of them here in Hebrews. How's it go? By faith, Rahab the prostitute, prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So it's about by faith. And then I just turn over a few pages to the book of James, James chapter 2. Again, 
he's talking about Rahab there, different author. And this is the passage about faith and works and how they link together. And James says this, you see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by the works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? See, Rahab is a woman of faith. Rahab is somebody who hears about the God of heaven and says, you know what? He is the Lord of all, the King of everything. I am going to align myself with him. And so she does. That's the story of Rahab. And I think to myself, well, how does that apply to us? That's really it, isn't it? How does that apply to you as you sit here today? Well, I think it's important. And it actually goes back to the original question that we asked. And that was, why is Jesus better than the world? See, that's it. That's, I think that's the question we probably do ask ourselves sometimes. You know, why follow Jesus? Why is he better? Well, because he is the king, he is the Lord of everything. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. That's why. That is why. And so there's this fear of God that we have it. She says, wow, he's, he is really great. I mean, there's terror because of what he's done. But there's also this awareness of just how great he really is. He actually really is God. He actually loves the show. This comes back to us. I think, you know, we're all looking for life, aren't we? We're all looking to align ourselves with something that makes sense and that is good. And, and we go after a whole lot of things. But sometimes those things are really just a shadow of glory, if you like. You know, they, like C.S. Lewis says, they, they are the scent of the flower, but they're not actually the flower itself. And so we find glory in things that are not related to God. And we think, I'll give myself to that and go after that. But the point always is we're selling ourselves short on that because it is, it is God alone who is worthy of our life because he is actually God. He is God. Make no mistakes about it. That's what the Bible says. Follow me, I'm God. That's where life is found. You were made for me. Glory, life is found just here. So I think to myself, that's, that's what the Bible says. And I actually do believe that, like most of you people probably do today. Maybe not everybody, but that's But like most of us, you know, I sort of believe, I believe that. But I think, how can I stay there? Because all these other things just ring so loud, don't they? They, 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 they speak into my ears, all these other things that say, give your life to me. Don't follow Jesus, or, you know, you can sort of follow Jesus, but really go after these other things. How can I make sure I stay in the right place? Well, it's kind of like Rahab. It's making sure I'm always hearing and reminding myself of how great God is, who he truly is. I was thinking about that, and I was reminded of one of my favourite psalms, actually, as I was thinking about that. One of my favourite psalms is Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. So Asaph's a man of God. He's one of the chief musicians in David's court. And, and I love Psalm 73 because it's blunt honesty. And I'll kick it off by just reading those opening verses of it. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped because I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And Asif goes on and he says, Ah, oh, look around. So to paraphrase that, Asif is looking around in the world and he's saying, You know what? I'm following. I'm following Jesus, if you like. Well, I'm following Yahweh. 
But it's actually not going all that well for me. Because I look at these scumbags, if you like, you know, these people that, well, maybe they're not you know, scumbags, but you read yourself 73, it probably looks a bit that way, to be honest. You know, these fat cats, these people that, that just plunder off other people, and they seem to be doing very well for themselves. You know, they're not worried about God at all, and they're doing really well. And Asaph says, oh man, I just feel like giving up. He said, in all, my, in all, all in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. He said, I couldn't even say this, otherwise I would have led others astray, but I just felt like, I just felt like, what's going on? It doesn't seem so fair. He said, I thought this way, but then verse 17 is the key. He said, I used to think this way, but he had a change of heart. He said, I thought this way until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. See, that's it. He's a bit like Rahab there. Asaph says, I'm actually going to stop and reflect on who God is. I'm going to think about who he is. And when I remember who God is, all of a sudden, everything gets put back into perspective. And I think that's right. It's worth it. I will follow him. It is worth the school. It is worth the shame. It is worth being generous financially and giving money away. It's worth being generous to people that don't treat you badly, that do treat you badly. It's worth all of those things. Because God is king and he sits on the throne. So why is Jesus better than the world? Because God is simply better than everything. And it's worth following him. And we need to fear him and see him for who he is. And that is one of the genuine lessons that I learned from Rahab. You know, it's a, it's a good lesson for us to do as well. Changing gears, second point, it's a different style of things, but a really important one. The reason why Jesus is better than the world is seen in the fact that he shows kindness to sinners. He shows kindness to somebody like Rahab. This is a beautiful point, really, this one. Rahab the prostitute. You know, she's somebody that doesn't have a stellar career. You know, she she doesn't she, she is somebody that's a sinner. She feels short of God's standard of holiness. She's, she's uh, somebody that we're supposed to remember was not living a great life. But it's interesting, isn't it, in this story, that God is kind to her. And this is how the story goes. It's a little bit intriguing, don't you think, when you, when you reflect on it? Joshua sends two spies into Jericho to suss out the land. But it's completely irrelevant, completely unnecessary. Because if you know how Jericho falls, he doesn't need to scope out the land. I mean, it's one of those outrageous stories, the, the fall of Jericho, isn't it? Remember how it goes? I mean, it's just ridiculous. By, you know, it's, it's great because it shows how great God is, but it's kind of ridiculous in the sense that here's these strong men of valor, but they don't even get, you know, it's all God. God shows up. They, all they do is they march around the city seven times and blow trumpets and the walls fall. It's an outrageous city. They don't need to scope out the land at all. God does everything. He takes care of things. So why is the story of the spies in the story at all? It's a great question. Well, the answer is, the only thing the spies achieve is the rescue of Rahab and her family. That's the only thing that comes from it. And I take it that this is God in his goodness and his kindness rescuing a woman who is his. A woman who has come by faith to believe in him. And he says, I will not leave her in the city. I will deliver her. 
And not only does he deliver her, but as you keep on reading, you see that she comes in, she becomes part of the nation of Israel. She marries in the nation of Israel. She has children in the nation of Israel. And you go to Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, and she rocks up again in that story. Turns out she's the mother of Boaz. So if you're a family camp, that might ring a bell. Boaz marries Ruth, and Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. So it's interesting, isn't it? Rahab the prostitute, the great, 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 etc. Grandmother of Jesus. Well, that's quite an honor. And that's a beautiful story. Because it's a story about redemption, isn't it? It says to us, it doesn't matter how far you have fallen. It says, it doesn't matter what you have done. Your guilty conscience and the things that hold you down, the things that burden you and stop you from flourishing, do not need to do so. Because Jesus died for you. See, the truth is that God is the God who is a judge. It is true and never forget that. That's what the conquest of Canaan is about, judging sin. He is to be feared because he is the judge. And we have to stand before him one day. And we do not have a leg to stand on. I easily buy into that narrative because I know my own heart. You do not have a leg to stand on. And he's exacting. But he's also a God who loves. Loves. And even though he's a judge, Jesus came to the world for this one reason. To pay the price for your sin. Because he loves you. He's a God who loves to redeem and bring people into a relationship with himself. That's why Jesus came. That's the gospel. So if you repent and let him be the king of your life, he will make you new. And it is, I tell you what, it's not a cheap grace. It's not a cheap story. Do you think my sin is so bad? Yes, it is. But Jesus paid for it. With his infinitely precious blood. And he did that so that you can be a person of faith. So you can be a person who lives for God and shines in this world. Your sin and your failing need not hold you down. But even more than that, it should not hold you down. God wants you to be released from that. So that you can live for him in this world. And the story of Rahab is a story like that. I read a quote this week from a lady, Barbara Ann. Kelly, just an article in the Gospel Coalition, I really liked it. She said, in almost every mention of her in Scripture, Rahab is still called the prostitute, which only magnifies the grace of her salvation. For though she was a prostitute, God wiped her shame away with his lavishly glorious grace. He wasn't ashamed to be called her God. Christian, do you hear the weight of the dark and shameful past? Do your former sins taunt you with the lie that surely you must be a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God? Are you hesitant to share your testimony or use your gifts to encourage and build up the church? The magnificence of the gospel is that we were all wretched sinners and are saved by God's amazing grace. In sending Jesus, he sent a rescue party to redeem you from sin and judgment. He's not ashamed to be called your God. You, dear one, 
because of the great love with which he loved you, are a trophy of his glorious grace. That's good, isn't it? It's powerful. And it's important. So we need to hear the gospel properly. We need to be related to it so that we can live and shine for Jesus. So why is Jesus better than the world? Well, here's two reasons this one. One, because he is a God to be feared. He is God of heaven and earth. He rules all things. And the sooner we realise that and really let that hit home and meditate and sit in that, the better. And secondly, he's just so good. See, he says, I know your pain. I know your shame. I have wiped it away if you will let me in Jesus so that you can be delivered, so you can shine and be all that you should be. That's good news. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the story of Rahab, for this, for the, this life and what it speaks into our lives. I think it speaks deeply into our lives because we need to hear those things. Father, I pray that you continue to change us with your glory, with a, with a vision of you, clear understanding of the gospel and the liberty that comes from that so that we can really be used by you. Love one another, accept one another, know we're accepted in you, and really shine in this world. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.